Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 161 for Monday, October 4th, 2021. My name is Johnny, but the internet knows me as Pixlriffs, and joining me, as always, is Joel Duggan. Hi, Joel. Hello, sir. It is a brand new day, and if you'd like to hear about a brand new world, that is something that we were talking about in the Render Distance, the extended version of the podcast that you can get access to at patreon.com slash the spawn chunks. We were talking about New World, the uh, MMO from Amazon Studios right now. Uh, it's been all over Twitch and we've been watching some people play it. Uh, neither Johnny and I have played it ourselves, but we were kind of speculating on what the draw is, uh, doing a little bit of um, just preamble. Uh, and of course, it is the first of the month, so we want to send out a big thanks to all of our patrons supporting the Spawn Chunks on Patreon. Uh, any level of support will get you access to the Discord server, the Render Distance Extended Show, live recordings of the show, if you're around on Mondays, of course, and access to our quarterly hangouts where we discuss how the podcast is doing and plans for the future. The Q3 Hangout for 2021 is coming later on this month because we have other things coming up in the next few weeks. We sure do. Uh, I wanted to remind people at the top of the show here that Minecraft Live is now less than two weeks away. It's happening on October 16th at noon Eastern time. You translate that for your time zone in your own time. Uh, but I wanted to give a quick reminder that Joel and I will be restreaming the Minecraft Live broadcast on my Twitch channel, as we've done in previous years. Um, it's always great to hang out with the chat, experience the announcements as they happen live, and give some of our first impressions of what we've seen. So we'll be starting, I think, concurrently with the start time of the show. We'll probably talk over the community pre-show stuff, uh, as we kind of warm up and welcome people into the chat and then once the announcements start coming through we talk about the mob vote as it goes on and then hopefully after all of that we'll be able to kind of summarize everything that we've seen and and talk about what it means for the future of the game so it's always a really exciting time and i thought just in case people skip next week's show and they don't get the reminder then i should let people know now that twitch.tv slash pixorifs on uh October 16th, Saturday, October 16th, we'll be uh, restreaming Minecraft Live at noon Eastern time. So what have you been up to this week in Minecraft, my friend? Uh, this week I have proven that I'm very bad at PvP, <laughs> which actually kind of happened last week when we did the recording, but uh, today my episode went out where we had an arena fight on the Empire's server, and I pretty much died all of the time <laughs> like I, I didn't end up killing a whole bunch of stuff i much prefer fighting the predictable patterns of mobs and and so forth and so uh when we ended up having having some arena fights between us uh we did a 2v2 match with me and fwip versus pearlescent moon and smallish beans and i was the first to die i think fwip actually team killed me <laughs> which was pretty funny um but yeah it was all in good fun it was all just meant to be uh, a bit of a fun event to get a bunch of us together and and play and since we we kind of skipped out on the prospect of having actual like combat between the empires quite early because we took the story in a bit of a different direction but it was fun to actually uh you know fight between us a little bit for 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 fun and sport uh but after that i decided that i needed to do something a bit more peaceful uh so i started building the ant hill which is this sort of mountain-esque project that i've been working on by the side of my base and i got about most of the way through the first face of the mountain and then realized I'm building this upside down. I think I might have mentioned this briefly on last week's show, but I, I ended up flipping the uh, build palette of it so that sandstone gathers around the bottom of the structure and it gradiates up towards more of a terracotta and brown mushroom color palette towards the top, uh, merging with like dripstone and a few other things. So I've uh, 
yeah, built and then torn down a mountain, which is probably the first time I'd, I'd <laughs> torn down something that big for a while. But I find that I don't do that often enough. I feel like if I'm not so happy with a build, it just sort of sticks around and never really evolves from there. Whereas I'd, I'd built enough of this that I realized I was doing something wrong, but not too much of it that I realized it's it's too big to tear down so i ended up uh yeah taking that whole thing down i'm going to try rebuilding it this week uh the other way up and we'll see how it looks at that stage i find that stuff like that is a good test of your ability to let go in mm -hmm. minecraft like i've got some areas of the wall around the city of, of west hill that i don't like but i'm not changing them <laughs> yeah just it's a big wall and i'm just like i don't really feel like moving this for the sake of a couple blocks or whatever like i just there's some things that just aren't the best but they're the best i could come up with at the time and i kind of think of like a the old storyboard game i know i've mentioned on the podcast a number of times which is yes and so you take the idea that someone else has already put forward and you build upon it rather than tearing it down and starting anew yeah and so i think that you know a lot of the times um and that can lead to some happy accidents that can lead to some creative corners um sometimes as an artist the best way for me to move forward is to put myself in a box and then try to figure out how to get out mm -hmm. you know that's that's often something that you can do but uh yeah i don't i also when it does come time to tear something down that was a lot of work to put up it's always like a oh this is a one block at a time yeah <laughs> situation yeah it really is and and i find that like it's it's something that it's hardest for me to plan ahead when it comes to a big landscaping jobs like this because i don't use plugins like world edit or anything when i'm building in creative i pretty much just build by hand in creative so structures like houses that are built very deliberately kind of make more sense to build in creative first whereas with something as big as this sort of mountainous like more more natural looking terrain that i'm trying to build it doesn't really make sense to me to try and design that in creative because there's no way i'm going to recreate it block for block on that sort of scale so instead i end up just kind of winging it in survival and that's when there's the most opportunity to make mistakes versus you know being able to build something in creative and easily change it so i don't know if that's something i need to do in future if i need to maybe spend a bit more time with world edit working with shapes and stuff like that first but having built the mountain in survival guide a while ago i figured i might as well give it another try and i think it's just the the color palette here being a variety of materials instead of it just being stone and then a bit of grass and snow on top of all of that i'm finding that i i, I prefer the aesthetic a slightly different way i'm a perfectionist and i end up like measuring things out a lot mm -hmm. before i start something in in minecraft and i often will put up wireframes of houses or buildings and just kind of walk by them for a couple of weeks before I decide mm, I don't really want something that tall there or whatever. Do you ever do anything like that? Or are you more of a from the hip when it comes to this kind of stuff? Because I know it's more of like a it's a it's a build, but it's also kind of like a landscapey build. Yeah, I mean, when I was building the mountains on Survival Guide, I learned uh, through watching Fwip's videos on the subject actually to set up those wireframes first and so i, I mm. kind of sketch out where i want the peaks of the mountains to go and the rough shape of it and the shape itself doesn't end up being the problem it, it just more ended up being the fact that the uh the palette i was using was better inverted and some with some of the materials just end up in different places but right. i think in terms of the shape of stuff i was fairly happy with it and it's just about adjusting the landscape from there and honestly it it comes down to what looks best blocky and what i can do more with at the sub block level because with dripstone you obviously have the opportunity to add pointed dripstone in there which at a distance can start to smooth things out because it has a natural kind of gradient to it 
Um, but I decided that, yeah, if I'm building at a shallower angle towards the base of the mountain, I need to be building with sandstone there because then I have access to all of the sandstone slabs and stuff as well. Whereas with terracotta, I could maybe mix in a bit of granite, but it looks different enough at a distance. There aren't any terracotta slabs. And the same goes for the brown mushroom as well, that I find that I, I kind of end up with... Like, I, I end up shooting myself in the foot when it gets to the steeper areas. I'm using the material that has the most options for, like, adding shallower angles. So it, it, mm. it didn't make as much sense at the time. Um, but yeah, rebuilding it with a slightly different perspective on that should uh, hopefully work out. Um, and it's something that I've, I've actually gotten a bit of inspiration from uh, having immersed myself in the snapshots. And, and like, recently I, I re-rolled a couple of worlds and... Uh, played until I found diamonds in the most recent snapshot, just kind of considering this the research phase almost for eventually Survival Guide Season 2. Kind of going, how does the pace of gameplay feel when there are these big cave openings that could be right there and you could see all the way down to diamonds? Does it make sense to rush the progression and get those right away? Or like, how am I going to sort of meet out the content so that people who are newer to the game are going to understand? But the new stuff they've done with mountains, which we'll talk about in the news segment today, um, along with the new advancements, which I, I had a, I had a go at getting. But these new mountains with more jagged peaks are providing a lot of really nice, you know, naturally generated Minecraft inspiration for what that kind of stuff could look like. So I might go around and see if I can find a few more interesting peaks to take some inspiration from in that sense, and then maybe you know build on them with my own ideas until I end up with the design of an anthill that I'm a bit more happy with. I like what you've got going on. Um, and I can see what you mean about like the, the desire to reverse the palette and have more options lower to the ground for a shallower slope. But like so far, like the proof of concept and the, and the, the vision, like what can I, I can, what I can see you going for in the gradient looks really cool. Yeah, thanks. I think it's um, it's a good combination of materials for not just the desert itself, but also the build style I'm going with elsewhere, because this is my kingdom that's based primarily on copper. A lot of the paths I have already have that kind of like pinkish reddish gradient in them. They've got mixtures of granite and red brick, and there's a bit of terracotta around, but most of it is, you know, stuff like jungle wood and even like rooted dirt and coarse dirt here and there. And I've got bits mm. of dripstone already decorating around some of the gardens. And so it's another logical step to use similar colors in some of the more kind of natural terrain formations around there. I think it works quite well. And a lot of terracotta has come from mesa biomes, which look pretty familiar to anyone who's been exploring a desert anyway. So I think it it works overall. It's just a matter of getting the, uh, <laughs> getting the gradient right and, and making it feel like, you know, this spire of rock has been pushed out of the desert landscape and is made of something different and then the sand has maybe gathered around the base of it and has kind of pushed mm. up against the side of it in a more natural mm. way if you imagine like the desert wind moving the dunes around you know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yep the the star wars nerd in me is is remembering geonosis from mm -hmm attack of the clones <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it's a, a dubious source to pull from but ultimately yeah one that one that has has some bearing on it and i think even like you know regardless of what you think of the the star wars prequels a lot of the production design <laughs> and the way they design fantasy worlds for that series is so much worth like taking as a oh, yeah as a case study for stuff we build in minecraft like you know the environment design in those movies excels even if you don't think much of you know the dialogue and characters and whatnot so yeah al always worth consideration when you're uh, looking for source material for stuff like this 
I mean, Bryce uh, Canyon in, in Utah as well is also like, I mean, it's a real world example of stuff like that. Uh, I, and I have been there. And because of my nostalgia for that trip, anytime anyone builds like Mesa-like or Spire-like sandstone type things, they immediately like, oh yeah, I really like how those look. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I, I had a couple of people saying that it was weird that I was using um like upwards facing and downwards facing dripstone considering how dripstone forms and i said you know you you look at anything that's been eroded by wind and sand over time and it has that rock spire kind of look to it like it's not just the dripping of water and the mineral deposit process that creates those kind of rock formations you you're being too literal in your understanding of what dripstone is at that point Mm -hmm. so yeah i'm i'm trying to trying to expand the reach expand a couple of people's horizons and and have them consider these materials in a in a slightly different light uh how about you how's the citadel going so i have once again spent uh the weekend working on the strip of barracks in the north part of the uh the city uh it went well i think it just took a lot longer than i was anticipating Mm -hmm. uh because we got into some interiors uh taking advantage of having the tables and chairs data pack from chuck chuck uh now having candles in the game uh, wanting to light things to the point where they look um livable currently they're a little overlit i'm looking forward to actually reducing the amount of lanterns and things in the interiors of my builds when 118 arrives yeah yeah. i won't need i won't need as much right um things like having a lantern and a candle in a lonely soldier barracks um (laughs) seems like overkill like you think that it would just be a candle right Mm -hmm. and that should be enough depending on how many candles are on the table that you might be able to you know light the entire build um pretty happy with the inside of like the main mess hall with the double fireplace uh roof kind of rafters and things and i put like a a rudimentary infirmary above it because I had the space inside the uh, smooth basalt roof to do that. And it worked out pretty well. Again, it's just a bunch of beds and chairs and tables and stuff all kind of piled up against the wall. Um, But great tip from the chat. I used snow layers in the areas that did not have a lot of light to um, suggest bed linens piled up uh, on shelves. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And that that worked out really well. And it works really well when you have a bed next to it, right? Because you've got the white, roll down of the bed where the pillow is Mm -hmm. uh, and then you have the white snow layers on the shelf next to it which is just a trapdoor um i i kind of went ham with the oak trap the uh spruce trapdoors in this but like (laughs) you just they're they're so versatile yeah i mean (laughs) that's that's medieval building at this point is like you know as soon as spruce trapdoors were added the medieval building was just elevated as far as Mm -hmm. you know the the stuff that you could do with those things i mean the the other trapdoor flavors don't tend to fulfill that kind of niche in the same way that the spruce one does but yeah welcome to uh the infinite expansion of a spruce doorway as well with like as many trapdoors as you want to pile around the actual functional door of the place yeah and that's i've actually got the the two doors the double door into the main hall is actually three blocks tall it's a door with a trap door above it um i need to go into my uh i think it's my door texture and remove like the little highlight (laughs) across the top of it so that they they actually like look like they match up a little bit better um the the other thing that i i've noticed about the the area is that um i was really getting heart like tired of the dark oak roof like the homogeny of stairs and slabs and stuff in dark oak because there's not a lot that you can get into dark oak to texture it Mm -hmm. um but i did uh, um because the roofs are small they're only five by seven or something uh maybe seven by nine at the largest and um, running a strip of 
uh, let's see if I can get this right, spruce wood. So the the bark all over blocks. Yeah. Um, that that go up in ridges along it. It's just enough of a shape change and just enough of a texture change to break up the dark oak and have it not look so just like rudimentary mm -hmm. and simple. Um, so that really worked out well. Uh, the deep slate is a nice kind of like accent. I can't say that I want to do a lot of like deep slate roofs uh, next to each other because again, you run into the same problem of it all kind of bleeding together. Um, the um, the thing that I was, that's left to do is mostly the riverbank because I've done kind of like a cobbly pathway between the barracks and the wall. Still have to like do some staircases inside of the the wall towers and stuff like that, but that's all pretty straightforward. But the, I think the, the last more challenging thing left to do is to decide what to do with the river that has like stair access, whether or not to bring the buildings uh, all the way down to the river, which I've sort of suggested I might do here, but then also maybe thinking about building up the landscape into a cliff. I, don't, I haven't really decided what I want to do yet. Um, but I have to decide where the river needs access first. So one of the things that I was talking about on stream, which um, I think is an interesting building tip for people, uh, and I want to know what you might think about this as well, is that I don't tend to just build in one direction in Minecraft, especially with a, a project like the, the town of West Hill. I tend to establish things that I know I want. Like I wanted that big hall, and I wanted some houses, some barracks going down this this um, this narrow space because it made sense to have the soldiers live close to the wall. Um, and then on the back side of things, I hadn't really decided what I wanted to do. And therefore, I haven't really attempted to do any landscaping or do any of the stair design or the back of the, the buildings because I tend to build one thing I know I really want. And then I'll have in my head, okay, I also know that I want some sort of river access. I'll do that next. And then I connect the two, right? Like, so I don't, I don't build from one to the other. I build one, I build the other, and then I connect them in between. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I will, I will rough, I will rough out a few things. Like I'll want to make sure that I have enough room to get the staircase down to the level that I want. You know, I'll get a path going or I'll make sure that the alleyway between two buildings is two blocks wide or three blocks wide or whatever it is that I want. I don't want to shoot myself in the foot and realize I can't walk down this thing without bonking my head. Um, but I tend to like create these two things and then build in between. them. And I even did that in, in the market area where like I built the church and I built the um, blacksmith shop knowing I wanted something in between them, but no idea what that could be. Yeah. And it ended up being a stable, right? And and it, it it feels more organic in that way. And it's, again, it goes back to like putting yourself in a box and trying to figure out how to get out of it creatively. Like I have this finite space. The building not only has to fit here, but it has to make sense. So having a stable where horses could be shooed by the blacksmith made sense, despite the fact that a stable next to a church doesn't make a lot of sense. So it's just, it's one of those things where I wanted to know with, with your builds, like, especially with large things like your, your anthill design, um, like, are you building stuff at A and B and then connecting the two? Or do you have a, like a, a more detailed plan for what's happening in between? Oh, I, I end up like going back and forth between different builds all the time in this way. Like I, I will just build something because I think that's the best space for it. It's what, you know, the area that has the most space or the most you know, convenient space for what I'm doing. And then if they are buildings with a purpose, whether it's like an in-game 
for the player purpose or whether it's a purpose for the fiction of the world i will think about that stuff first and then like you i'll figure out what needs to go in between those things second and that could almost mimic the way that towns like your west hill build kind of spring up around a certain area you think okay this is an area that people have come out to and that one of the first things they've established is okay we need somewhere to put our horses now that we've got here so that you know the stable ends up maybe in this case being one of the earlier things you build and then stuff starts to spring up around that because various people need places to live and now there's a place for horses to go then potentially travelers can come and stay there so they'll need an inn and you can kind of imagine that sort of process building up organically and that's sort of the way you can think about building a town so i don't always think like i need to build a row of builds in this specific area and and even not even something as geometric as a row but i don't tend to put off building something that i've got my eye sort of set on in the hopes that you know i I can fill in the space until we get to that point now i'll go over there and i'll build the thing and then the the puzzle becomes more about how to tie the two together later on yeah and I, I find too that for for what we kind of see from either history or from media in terms of medieval type towns and places where a lot of people early on are living in close proximity, they tend to build on top of one another. Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah. buildings tend to be rather than building four walls, why would you do that when you can build three as long as the person next to you is okay sharing a wall? Mm-hmm. You know, like so that kind of stuff I find can be can be pretty helpful. The problem with Minecraft, of course, you have to consider that you might want to put like a tooth two block thick wall so that one house could be a different color on the inside than the other like that kind of stuff you might want to think about i remember dealing with that in the modern city lesson learned uh as i got to build bigger buildings i was just like oh i want the walls to be too thick so that the apartment colors can be different than the outside color of the building you know stuff like that um so and at this scale it can be a little bit challenging although really there's not a lot of inside color uh (laughs) happening we'll get into this later in the show but (laughs) brown and gray are my life right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. And and Brown and Gray are about to be everybody else's life as well, because we should probably move on into the news and talk about the latest snapshots. Uh, as we're thinking about moving forward into 1.18, Caves and Cliffs Update Part 2, it is time for an advanced snapshot. Uh, Minecraft Java Edition Snapshot 21W39A was released this week, and in this snapshot, you can now open worlds from previous versions again with one big warning and this is directly quoted from the minecraft.net blog post the blending technology that mojang intends to introduce with caves and cliffs part 2 is not yet available to java players so if you open an old world in this snapshot it will be upgraded with air underneath the current bottom of the world where bedrock would be previous to 1.18 and then visible chunk borders to new areas. And as such, they highly recommend backing up your world before loading it in this snapshot, because otherwise you're going to end up with some pretty thick chunk borders and some otherwise irreparable damage if you want to think of it that way. So there are some new features in 21W39A aside from that, which include Caves and Cliffs Part 2 advancements. You can now earn Caves and Cliffs for falling from the top to the bottom of the overworld, Feels Like Home for riding on a a strider on lava for 50 blocks in the overworld, Star Trader for trading with a villager at the build height limit, and Sound of Music for playing music with a jukebox in a meadow biome. Some changes, aside from the advancements in 21W13A, include uh, tweaking peaks to make small mountains look like proper jagged mountain peaks instead of flat, hilly mounds. 
The lone trees in meadows will now always contain a bee nest. Drowned can spawn in aquifers inside dripstone caves. Zombies don't spawn in dripstone caves at all. Buried treasure chests can now contain water breathing potions. The default brightness has been changed to 50 and they've redesigned how effects look in the inventory screen to allow them to show even with the recipe book open. A little bit more detail on that, your list of effects is now shown to the right of the inventory instead of on the left hand side, which is where the recipe book would open. Uh, when the inventory effects list is visible, it will be hidden from the game view to reduce screen clutter. And there are now two modes of seeing the effect list, compact and classic. Classic is the pre-existing list of effects, one after another with times and so forth. And compact is a single icon for each effect, suitable for small screen real estate and kind of similar to the icons that appear in the top right when you're experiencing any kind of status effects. The game will automatically switch between these two looks to suit the available screen real estate, including having the recipe book open. In other news, the Minecraft Spooky Fest is upon us. On October 1st, Minecraft Dungeons on Twitter announced the spookier fall event. Heroes, what's even spookier than last year's spooky fall? You guessed it, spookier fall. We'll be haunting the Minecraft Dungeons from October 13th to November 2nd. Dare to unite, fight, and scream your way through seasonal trials and score new terrifying time-limited rewards. The Minecraft.net article introduces the Minecraft Dungeons event, encourages Bedrock Edition players to look for Halloween content coming in the marketplace this month, and provides some in-real-life crafting resources for families as Halloween approaches. Which is always kind of cute. It's always nice to see people like printing out and 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 crafting, you know, Minecraft jack-o'-lantern masks and that kind of stuff. So I expect there'll be some uh, some fun to be had if your kids are into Minecraft this Halloween. Um, as far as the Minecraft Dungeons event goes, I don't know if I'll have the time to pop in considering how busy I am with vanilla stuff right now. But if it's anything like the previous uh, Halloween event that they've done, uh, you can expect some pretty tough challenges. People who are um, more used to playing at like maximum Apocalypse Plus level at this stage are still going to find it a little bit tough in the, the Halloween event because previously they've had night mode as part of those um, time-limited seasonal trials where effectively mobs just keep spawning around you so you can't really stop and rest anywhere. You've got to keep moving, which can be a little bit challenging on higher difficulty levels. So uh, yeah, if you're looking forward to another Minecraft Dungeons seasonal event in lieu of any more DLC coming out for the game than uh, worth checking out, I think. The article kind of made me think about uh, the skins and uh, I can't remember what they call them. They're like uh, not crafting um, abilities, but they're little things in, in Minecraft uh, Bedrock Edition, uh, character creator items. Yeah, they're like uh, cosmetics like, and stuff. Basically. Yeah, cosmetic yeah. stuff. So you like a costume that makes you look like a cauldron from um, the swamp level in dungeons. Yeah, there's a screenshot like of that that's really quite funny. <laughs> Yeah, no, very cool. I also like the um, the spooky guardian as well. I, I wish there was more stuff like this in Java. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the kind of stuff that you only really get to see in, in modded. Um, but on, I mean, I guess you could always do like a custom uh, skin design for Java, but then you're limited to what Steve can wear, you know, mm -hmm. or the, the, the player character uh, can wear um, in terms of your custom things so like the for example the 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 helmet on this uh cauldron cover design is much bigger than a normal minecraft helmet and uh it's too bad that more cosmetic stuff like that isn't available in java without again modding 
stuff yeah um, it, it's something that i noticed a while ago i was watching some bedrock players play with a skin pack from the xbox version of the game back before bedrock was even a thing when it was still split into lots of different console versions and there was a skin that allowed you to reskin your character as a dolphin and instead of having the normal walk animation the tail just kind of flipped around and the the, the dolphin was like <laughs> perfectly upright it wasn't like a minecraft dolphin that we eventually got in the update aquatic but it was just like this vertical dolphin with the with the tail kind of moving as one instead of you know bifurcated as two separate legs and so i i feel like bedrock edition you know in 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 place of those console and and mobile editions is capable of doing really interesting stuff with the player model that for some reason never really made it into that that level of like sophistication never touched on java edition and it may be because java edition is distributed so freely and you know the the um different textures and stuff that you can make it might lead to some more inappropriate applications of custom models for characters but right. i yeah, think yeah, there's yeah. there's still if it's controlled through the marketplace and stuff like that has to be approved and so forth i think it is still it's a fun application of it i i like the idea uh especially on a on a multiplayer server of being able to like you know a little bit of rp or just being able to have something that that says like hey here's some cool you know stuff that you can that you can wear that will signify like for example like if you created this really cool mob farm that get you a ton of goats and you ended up with a lot of goat horns being able to craft armor that had horns on it would be cool and if that's mm -hmm. the only way that you can do that then you can walk around strutting knowing you are the one that has this powerful goat farm you did the work and you have the cool you know horned helmet looks like a viking like that kind of stuff mm -hmm. i think it'd be could be very cool um I, I get a lot of questions on stream about like the armor, the mishmash of armor that I wear. <laughs> and it would be nice to kind of like have something that's a little bit more thematic, I think from time to time, or just fun, like doing Halloween costumes. I mean, I, I know you can do the whole skin change thing, but I, uh, I, I like the idea of adding some geometry to the player in Minecraft, because that's something that I find continues to look dated, even though these new changes to the terrain in the snapshot really look great. Uh, I was watching uh, your video uh, earlier, and and the the landscapes that are that are showing up in in the snapshots are really starting to look cool. Uh, now that they've kind of honed in all those different, you know, all the different spaghetti noodles that they were throwing at the wall in the experimental snapshots, they they really seem to be um, coming together nicely. Um, but then you like when you see a player walking around and it's just like this stiff arm swing, leg swing thing. You're just like, oh right, <laughs> this is it's still Minecraft, uh, you know, in terms of the player animation. So I kind of wonder whether they'll end up with an animation update at some point down the line. Maybe, yeah, it's it's certainly a possibility. And uh, yeah, if if they end up bundling that in with something like a combat update, so you can have players like swinging swords slightly more realistically or something, it's it, it walks an interesting line though because it's the kind of stuff people find iconic about Minecraft now. Um, mm -hmm. You look at the way um, the Steve and Alex characters in Super Smash Brothers now work. Um, and and they walk exactly that way, and it it's the kind of iconography that people associate so heavily with Minecraft that it does seem like it might be a bit of a shame to to change that if that's something people have an intense nostalgia for. But again, we we were saying this previously when we were talking about cosmetic items. It's so rare that you see your own character that for a lot of the yeah. time it's not really going to bother you. But you know, if you're in third person or if you're on a multiplayer server, that's the kind of thing that's going to stick out to you uh, a lot more. I think the thing that I associate those kind of cosmetic changes with is progression. 
-hmm. Like that's kind of like when you're thinking about other video games, like how cool your armor is can often indicate how well you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, I agreed. Definitely. The, the the better cosmetic stuff always comes in in late game as well. Mm-hmm, <laughs> you can actually mm-hmm. start to personalize stuff at that point. Um, let's take a look at the snapshot, though, because uh, first of all, yeah, you mentioned the uh, the jagged peaks and stuff like that. Having loaded up a couple of worlds now and found some of those smaller mountains, I got to say, it's a vast improvement and one that I didn't really suspect that we were going to get. But it, it only happens some of the time. There are some mountains that will still be kind of flat and hilly, but then there will be some that have these jagged spires. And I found one that was tipped with calcite, uh, and I saw it from a distance. I didn't you know, go all the way up to the peak of the mountain, but they they do genuinely look pretty cool. And I think it's it's neat to see a bit more variety creeping into the terrain, even though the experimental snapshot phase is done. They're still kind of making some back-end changes to terrain that are ultimately going to feel a little bit uh, a little bit better, a little bit closer to their original vision for it. So, uh, yeah, I, I've included one screenshot of those, um, and and I think that's uh, really all you need to see to, to see, like, this is actually working really well for the, the look of the game. Yeah, I... I'm looking forward to trying the snapshots. I think this next week might be the week that I try it because I've been waiting for one, the note that you can bring worlds forward. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm looking for that that moment where we can build bring worlds forward where there won't be chunk borders. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to bring an existing world, I don't think, into the snapshots. Although, now that I mention it, maybe I should grab my old snapshot world and bring that forward. Because that way I wouldn't have to start from scratch again, right? Like I'd have a bunch of farms and stuff already mm-hmm. set up. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to see whether that's something that we could, you know, we could try out. Um, because I, I've been having some some technical issues even with Minecraft now um, repeatedly this weekend. And it actually curbed my, my stream time. So I'm really curious to see how... Um, the snapshots perform and how they get refined over the coming weeks um, from a um, a player and streaming standpoint in terms of the, the system resources, given the change in the world, the blocks and all that kind of stuff. And the fact that we're dealing with vanilla snapshot stuff where there's not going to be, you know, Optifine or any kind of other mods available, um, at least not right away um, for the snapshots to see if they can tweak performance. So, I'm I'm curious to see how that works out. I know you have a pretty beefy computer, but uh, did you notice any sig- significant performance changes or was everything pretty pretty smooth? It's all been fairly smooth for me. I think the only time I notice it is if I want to turn the render distance all the way up and that's never really been a, an option for me. Like I can I can have a 32 chunk render distance in vanilla Minecraft. Now it's still going to make my computer a bit jittery because it's got a lot of stuff to load at that stage. And so yeah, I, I'm finding that if I want to turn things up, I turn the simulation distance down now and that actually helps a little bit. Uh, to to make it less of a slideshow, so I think it's um, it's potentially the case that the snapshots might work out better for you if you end up deciding to compromise on simulation distance. That might be worth a m- more investigation um, if mm. you're playing in a snapshot more regularly. Um, there's a couple of other interesting changes in this changelog actually beyond the advancements, which we'll get to in a second. But I like the fact that they're making some more changes to dripstone caves and making them a bit more of a unique environment and worth players seeking out from a mechanical perspective. Because beyond just having the material dripstone everywhere now, 
there are spawning changes there. You've got no zombies, but guaranteed drowned. And that's an interesting thing, because for a start, it ties the biome to copper more closely now that the drowned mobs drop that. Uh, but it also might influence players' choices of where to build mob farms. You know, you can't find a, a river that you like, and I'd be surprised because the rivers in this version are awesome, but... Um, you know, maybe you want to move your farming operations underground. You don't want to build a big drowned farm in the middle of a river. You could seek out a more landlocked dripstone cave environment to do that. And potentially that proves pretty useful in terms of spawning just the drowned in that area. I don't know if fish are going to spawn in that environment either. So you can eliminate spawning of other useless mobs in the area. Um, I think there's, there's potential there for dripstone caves to become more of a destination for players beyond just the the look of them and grabbing some dripstone before you take it elsewhere and do something else with it um but along with you know increased copper ore spawning there i think it's uh definitely making dripstone caves worth seeking out in the way that lush caves are just from the sheer beauty and diversity of them i was thinking about the no drown thing and thinking man there's some people building redstone farms are going to be super happy because or sorry not not no drown no zombie thing um because i remember the mob farm that you made where you were trying to figure out if you could um like build build a farm that did not have zombies because who cares about about zombies mm -hmm. right like zombie flesh is useless um but then i remember that we've got vertical biomes so it's not like you can just find a dripstone cave and then build this massive farm that's never going to have any zombies in it because like you're only going to be limited to however big that dripstone cave is like maybe it's only 15 blocks tall yeah you know you're not going to be able to just like find like people find a river biome and then they build a um a drown farm like way up in the sky above a river uh but i don't know does that still hold true in the snapshots like when you find a river in the overworld and there's nothing above it does that biome remain all the way up into the sky or does it change i believe it does the only thing that changes is dripstone and lush caves being able to be underneath uh, other biomes on the surface but i think the rest of the time there has to be some sort of biome classification of you know any chunk area for you know proper mob spawning rules to apply you know they don't want you to be able to build a platform in the sky and have nothing spawn there because that becomes a little convenient for the player so i think there are vertical biomes all the way up and it's just depends on the slices of them below ground which can be taken up by lush or dripstone caves so i think the the key here for dripstone caves is potentially being able to find a dripstone cave that is down lower in the world and potentially being able to make a more efficient drowned farm there because you can build it really close to the bedrock and you know have fewer zombie spawns there maybe flood a dripstone cave and try and work out a way for the drown to emerge from that you could you could do a lot more with it you're still going to have to light up the area around it but again for for height based spawning stuff it could potentially be a a worthwhile thing to to try out and drowned only take damage in the sunlight out of water right they don't they don't just start dying when they're out of water because otherwise there'd have to be aquifers in in these caves in yeah no the drown to be they don't they don't suffocate they have to spawn in water but they don't have to stay in water um it's right. significantly they, their ai basically disappears once they're out of water as long as it is daytime as well so the drowned will not see the player once they're at once the player is out of water and once the drowned are out of water so you can mm. do some fun stuff with that but it's uh yeah it's, it's certainly a mechanic worth uh, worth looking into once 
these dripstone caves are more accessible to players. The quality of life change in the um, effects UI is very welcome. Mm. And I'm surprised, I don't know if we've ever talked about it on the show, but it's always struck me as very odd that when you're in your in own inventory with the crafting book open, as I leave it open all the time, yeah. uh, you, you can't see what effects you might have. So like when you're in the, I noticed it when I was in the nether building the gold farm, when I was constantly trying to figure out how many seconds I had left on my fire you know, resistance potion before I would be, you know, melting in lava. And um, I, I like the changes and um, something we didn't have in the notes, but I did pick up watching uh, a video from a friend of the show, Eximavoid, was that if you have the minimal icons visible, if you hover your mouse over them in the UI, you'll get the full, like how many minutes, seconds are left on that effect. Right. Okay. Whereas if you've got, yeah, but if you've got the full, if you've got the book closed and you can see the full effect, or there's only enough effects that you can display them all, then you'll see, you'll see all the information. But if you have it, so if you have so many effects on you that they're just kind of li listed like badges down the right-hand side, if you hover your mouse over them, it'll give you the full details. Which, that's, again, that's good. Great. Yeah, 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 very yeah. cool. Very, very nice that they've got like tooltips effectively for them. Those kind of mouse hover mm -hmm. things are, uh, I think, something we, we talked about this before, but Minecraft could use a little bit more of for some of the settings menus and, and bits and pieces like that. So mm -hmm. that's uh, that's that's very, very good. I sense the hand of Dinnerbone in this after him saying that he was trying to figure out he had like a laundry list of all of these tiny quality of life changes that he wanted to make to the game. Um, so the advancements are a little bit a little bit weird at first i think a lot of people don't quite understand the the need to make the advancements things that to my mind you know don't really feel like the the kind of thing that you would stumble into as part of normal gameplay right a lot of the advancements they've added are things you have to do very deliberately um so i launched a new snapshot world and took the time to get the advancements wasn't really going for any others wasn't trying to do a hundred percent run <laughs> or anything but um yeah, to get these four advancements in particular, um, the impression that I got, aside from Sound of Music, which is just kind of a meme, because they they put the meadow biomes in kind of inspired by the movie Sound of Music, and so uh, naturally playing a jukebox in a meadow was one of them. But um, I think the rest of them are really there to kind of guide players who have a hard time setting their own objectives. The kind of players who are playing Minecraft just to see, kind of feel out what is possible, but don't necessarily have a mind to, okay, I'm now going to turn this area into a big castle and do a long, large-scale build or that kind of thing. And I think advancements in general have been, since they were implemented, a way to guide players towards certain aspects of the game and show them what the game is capable of. So my thought about stuff like the Caves and Cliffs advancement, which is you fall from build height all the way to bedrock, and it has to be below, I believe, Y negative 60, although I, I found a patch that was negative 63, uh, because falling just on top of where the, the highest block of bedrock generated didn't work. So you have to fall below Y60 from, you know, 320 at the top of the world now. Um that's not something an average player is going to do accidentally it's a very purposeful thing and so i think the the reason stuff like this is being added is partly to show off the fact that the world is that big now to players who've been playing minecraft for a while and are used to the build height as we have it currently but it's also a good way to challenge players to explore what the upper and lower limits of the world are if they haven't 
really played around with the game at all before. So like, oh, you can build all the way up to 320 blocks above the world when the world below you will basically disappear <laughs> on most render distances. I think that's, it's an interesting challenge and it is sort of framed as a challenge. It's part of the adventure tab of the advancements and it's one that, you know, you're meant to treat it as like a puzzle you need to solve almost rather than yeah this is going to be a really practical thing for you to learn throughout the game i think it's just a an interesting way to to guide players who are having a hard time setting their own objectives yeah as someone that's not uh an advancement player in most games um probably not something that i'm going to be doing mm -hmm. but i can see the the guide you know for new players in the same way that other advancements will guide you on how to smelt something getting iron getting to the nether like that kind of stuff yeah yeah i think it's interesting though saren int in our live chat is pointing out that the advancement icon for the falling from world height is deliberately chosen to be a water bucket as well so that in that way it kind of hints at the fact that you are able to save yourself from a fall that high by you know having a bucket of water to fall into and and whether it's kind of a, a kind of a community hint at the the mlg water bucket of being able to place it right as you land you don't need to do that for the record you can just fall into a water source that's what i did um but i think yeah it, it's kind of showing players a couple of the mechanics by a sort of backdoor stealthy kind of way um the star trader one is also kind of interesting because it's a lot easier to do if you find a village that's part of the tallest mountain you can possibly find versus what I had to do, which was find a village at basically sea level and then build a giant tower with a water column at the center of it to propel a villager up to Y320. But, um, you know, that was that was also part of falling from world height as well. So you can kind of combine the two if you're looking to, uh, you know, just get them out of the way. Um, the other thing I was thinking about when it came to sound of music encouraging players to look for a meadow biome that ultimately leads to them finding a mountain biome um if there wasn't one visible already from where they were at spawn if you if it encourages you to explore eventually you're going to find some pretty impressive looking terrain so i think that's uh, maybe maybe part of the the mission statement there as well but um yeah i i think it's nice to see new advancements coming through i wonder if there will be any when the warden eventually arrives in the game and they just haven't got around to adding that yet so there's no point in adding the advancements and i know they can't make any guarantees but you know it is october now it's the season of spooks and i do think it'd be fun for halloween to be you know a great occasion to release the warden into snapshots wink wink eyes emoji um <laughs> I, I i i don't want to put any pressure on the team obviously and they have very much stated that when it's done it's done to the point where we don't know if it's even going to be in this update yet or not but i i have my fingers crossed that we're going to be seeing the warden this month just because uh yeah it's it seems like the appropriate occasion to test minecraft's potentially scariest experience to date I, I'm hoping to see it. Uh, I, um, but I, I'm with you. I, I would much rather it be finished in one a way that's good for the game, and two a way that's good for the the team. I yes. mean, both of them, both of those things, I would hold in the same value. But, yeah, absolutely. But those those two points, I would say, are are the two key things. And so I'm patient uh, about it. It's I don't think there's going to be a lack of things to do in 118 if the warden is not present. Yeah. Um. But I, I think that um, that would round out 
the like the offering you know in terms of like the we've got the exploration we've got some new mechanics we've got some lighting changes it's just like it's the new mob and then the new enemy the new boss the new challenge i think is maybe the one thing that's that's lacking a little bit i say that knowing that i got my butt handed to me when i went caving so <laughs> like there's not it's not without its challenges but but I, I think that um, that that would be something that I would be looking forward to as well. The thing that I think we're also overlooking a little bit when we focus on the Warden specifically is that that also brings with it the deep dark with Skulk and Skulk sensors. And mm -hmm. at this point, Skulk sensors have been implemented and are available through commands since, you know, fairly early in 1.17. They got the functionality of those sorted out pretty quickly and then everything since then has kind of led to them not being included in vanilla survival gameplay yet and so i'm kind of hoping that the warden gets added simply because the environment around the warden also has a lot of value for players who don't necessarily want the challenge of that mob but if you can go down there even in a peaceful world dig up a couple of skulk sensors and add those to your redstone kit then that's potentially going to be worthwhile um on twitter earlier this week i even speculated that it wouldn't necessarily generate hype in quite the same way but i was imagining what would happen if mojang didn't even mention the warden in a snapshot changelog where it was added you know because as soon as it appears in the changelog everyone you know on youtube and you know reddit communities and discords and everything is going to go out looking for it make a video of them trying to kill it share screenshots and i can imagine that the horror experience would be so much more authentic if it was something that we could stumble upon completely by accident and even you know, if they were able to somehow finagle it so that the warden didn't register, like didn't render at all in screenshots. So you try and take a screenshot of the warden because you found it and, you know, spoil it for everybody else who wants to have the experience, but the warden doesn't show up. And so it's like you've taken a photo of Bigfoot and it's just not there, <laughs> right? And so like much as I want the warden to be encrypted in that sense, I don't know if that's an approach they would take because obviously feedback is much more important at this stage in the process and the snapshots only go out to a you know a, a small handful of players who want to to test them and the majority of the community is going to be completely in the dark no pun intended but i uh i'm i'm interested to see the approach they take to rolling out the warden and still allowing players to have that that first time experience of uh, something a bit more horrific speaking of feedback we've got some chunk mail this week and if you'd like to email the show you can send your email to spawn chunk mail at gmail.com please use that email address we don't read email from any other address uh so that again is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com email this week is from phoenix phil vultures trolls and scorpions oh my hi joel and johnny today i was working through my backlog of your episodes and listened to episode 157 speculating on minecraft live in that episode you discussed a few potential new mobs and ideas for the next update and i wanted to share my own ideas that you inspired for a new mob, we've seen a fair share of real-world derivatives recently. Warden aside, and Joel's suggestions about a new river mob struck a chord in a fantastical vein for me. How about trolls? They could be biome variable, and an aquifer cave variant or a river variant could be possible, a lofty peaks variant, desert variant. The ideas are endless. I'd love to see a mob with a bit more movement to it, so perhaps trolls could have the ability to pounce on players from rivers, and other hiding places. Snowy Peaks variants could hide in powdered snow. Desert variants could hide in sand, or maybe quicksand. 
To counter this shocking surprise, trolls could be distracted by the player by throwing a special item onto the ground. Mushrooms, perhaps, to give them a further use. This could make trolls passive for a set period of time. For the next update, I agree that the desert is looking a bit bland against all the new back biome developments. Whilst keeping the desert biomes as sparse regions would be nice for flexible build palettes, there's such a broad range of desert biomes in real life, it's a shame to not tap into those beautiful varieties. What a lush oasis would be like in the game. In the email, they get into black sand and all the different possibilities in terms of um, updating deserts. There's also Desert Temple could feel user revamp. Uh, not to forget the potential for desert mobs. What about vultures uh, that steal rotten flesh and attack zombies, scorpions that burrow into soft sand or escape an ambush of the player? I know this is a bit of a long email, but you guys do inspire a lot of good thoughts. Thanks again. Phoenix Phil slipped off scaffolding and became impaled on bamboo. Phoenix Phil is trolling us. I see how it is. Um, <laughs> yeah, like... Much as I, I immediately want to associate trolls with moving in under any bridges the player builds, um, I, I like the idea, and it's it's something odd in Minecraft's history, or at least its recent history, that players are kind of resistant to the idea of there just being one mob with a bunch of variants. Like, when they added the drowned or husks, people were like, oh, it's just another zombie. You know, it's got a couple of its own quirks, but it's just another zombie. But I feel like adding an original new mob and giving it a, a variety of variants from the beginning uh, might be a bit more of an appealing concept. Like, you know, we're adding one mob, but really it's four, <laughs> and so mm. forth. And I, I, I like I like that sense. I don't know if troll is necessarily the way they would want to go, both for the negative associations of its name online now, um, and also just the fact that trolls are fairly heavily explored. Uh, we were talking in our pre-show about New World and how you were put off by the fact that, oh, it's another game that just has zombies as a generic enemy. And I feel like trolls are kind of the next stage of that. It's like orcs or whatever, right? Like they've they've kind of been done to death from the stages of fantasy novels on downwards and so you know maybe something that has its own identity and doesn't necessarily have to be a troll in the sense that people imagine a troll when they think of it uh like the world of warcraft troll or something maybe it can be something that has a bit more of its own identity especially if it's a a fantastical and uniquely minecrafty monster yeah i mean my brain went to the uh trork from Hightail, which I mean looks like a troll. <laughs> yeah. The only difference is that it's an it's a K instead of two L's. Um, but uh that, like my brain having seen that pixelated version of a troll recently, that's kind of the first thing that came to mind. Uh and being a Warcraft player, the, the you know the underbite, the tusks, like that kind of thing. Um I did like the other things that came to mind though when I was thinking about trolls in that uh in The Hobbit, when the sun comes out, the trolls turn to stone. And that could be a fun thing to have happen. Maybe it's not just stone. Maybe they turn into other resources like coal or wood. Um, that could be kind of cool. So rather than a troll needing to be killed to collect items by the player, the troll needs to be lured into the sunlight to then be frozen and turned into logs or coal or whatever. I thought that could be kind of appealing. Um, I also like the idea, again, troll aside as far as the mob, you know, kind of mob i like the idea of a mob that would be aggressive unless you gave it something and so it becomes passive for a short period of time and it reminded me of course of piglins 
Mm-hmm. And I like the idea of if you're going to have a biome variant mob, uh, that's going to make sense for a couple of reasons. One, the the idea of these mobs hiding and then jumping out at you. It makes sense to have a white ice troll, a brown sand troll, a green forest troll, because they're going to blend in better. Um, but if those mobs also require different items to pacify them, mushroom for, you know, a a, um, a forest troll, uh, maybe you have to give ice or uh, something else like a pork chop to uh, uh, an ice troll, a desert troll. I don't know. I mean, if Minecraft had a fruit, then I would say, sure, you know, use that. Um, maybe it's cactus. I don't know. Like just stuff like that, I think could be really interesting to try and pacify the different characters uh, and different variants. Again, leading to some different gameplay. Maybe they trade for different things. I don't know. Um, that kind of stuff could be could be really interesting. Uh, I also really dig the idea, pardon the pun, of mobs like digging into sand or snow to hide. I like I like that idea. You know, similar to how crocodiles kind of like have theirs, their eyeballs above the water when they creep up to prey. Uh, I like the idea of a mob kind of sticking up to its eyeballs. Uh, especially if that mob is vulnerable to sunlight. So maybe desert trolls during the, the daytime burrow into the ground, right? Because they don't want to get turned into into stone or sandstone, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and so they only jump out at players and maybe that's at great risk to them. I don't know. I just, I liked the variety and the ideas that kind of came out of some of the mechanics. Um, but I'm with you. I don't know if troll is necessarily the best thing. Um, when I mentioned like an aquatic mob, I don't remember what, what mob it was, but there was one that was proposed, uh, phantom ultimately one, but one of them kind of looked like an alligator, but it was just a head. Like it yeah. didn't have a body. That was the it one was I, just the it one was... I voted for mob C, the, yeah. gr- the great hunger. I think it was the, the great the hunger. Working yeah. Title. So that kind of stuff I think is really unique. If they can come up with something like Minecraft has got some really cool things like shulker boxes and endermen that are very unique to that to the game. And mm-hmm. I think that coming up with something wholly on its own would be cool. But again, having something that could burrow into the sand, uh, we sort of have that animation slash idea with turtles and how they make a nest and lay their eggs. Yeah. So it's not like it's completely alien to what we've experienced in Minecraft so far before. Um I mean, you have silverfish uh, burrowing into stone and so yeah, forth as mm-hmm. well. Like, there's a similar yeah. mechanic there, in a sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's true. Although I dislike silverfish greatly. Oh yeah, so me too. That. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, um, I think, in terms of exploring the precedent for mobs like this, yeah. I think it's important to note that there are there are similar examples, like you said, like the uh, the kind of throwing them stuff to distract them is is already a thing for piglins. So if they wanted to introduce that mechanic to new players, they could be familiar with that quite quickly because they go, oh, okay, like a piglin, and and it it becomes easier for for players to understand if there's more than one thing that does that although i think they still want to make sure that anything new they add to the game has something unique about it whether it's completely unique or if it is just an aspect of it that makes it more valuable compared to everything else so yeah Mm. there is there is potential here i think as far as the other mobs go, uh, we saw a vulture, I think, teased in one of the uh, animated videos yes, that for, they were talking about. For the Badlands, vote, I believe. For Badlands, yeah. Um, I like the idea of a, of a bird in Minecraft. I love the activity that bees add to the game, uh, having little things float around in the woods. It adds so much life. Anything that moves in Minecraft is a huge improvement like that. 
um, especially things that fly because we'd never seen anything like that outside of the Phantom. And they only come out so often, right? Yeah, and, and um, parrots, which effectively only flit around in occasional jungle bushes and then follow the player once you tame them. So there's, yeah, there's no I, like parrots soaring between the, the higher trees of the jungle. They don't tend to work no, that way. They're like the Buzz Lightyear of Minecraft falling with style. <laughs> uh-huh. right? They don't. They don't actually fly. Uh, so yeah, I think that could be that could be a cool cool addition. Um, but in terms of, and I wanted to ask you this, both in terms of passive mobs and um, like angry mobs. Uh, how are you? Where do you land on like scale? Because uh, Phoenix Phil suggested a scorpion. Have you seen spiders in Minecraft? <laughs> like, do we do we want spiders or scorpions the size of cattle skittering around the desert? I don't know that we do. Um, and, and to me, it's like you get into something as complicated as that and it starts to like, one could be kind of creepy, but also like, how do you animate something like that in a Minecraft style that doesn't really look dated, you know, like scorpions tails need to have segments. And like, I don't know that that's really going to work. Spiders, you know, as it is, are a bit of a stretch. Um, so something that I was thinking of, uh, was a beetle like a scarab beetle. And because of the whole digging in the sand thing, my brain was stuck on desert before the show. Mm -hmm. And scarab beetles are iconic. They have a very distinct shape. Uh, They're pretty big for an insect. So making them the size of, oh, I don't know, a dog in (laughs) Minecraft (laughs) wouldn't necessarily be, wouldn't necessarily be a stretch. I mean, bees are already bigger than footballs in Minecraft, right? So when you you said scarab beetle, I was immediately thinking endomite sized, but nope, you're you're, you're thinking much bigger than that. (laughs) I'm thinking much bigger. I'm thinking much bigger. Not only because it would be like, you could have a bunch of things. Like there's some real world stuff. There's maybe a tie to archaeology because, of course, my brain thinks Scarab Beetle and the movie The Mummy from like the yeah. early aughts. Mm-hmm. Um, but also just like the idea of like bees kind of had this little buzz when they fly around. But do you remember the noise that the beetle made in A Bug's Life when it took off? It was like a helicopter. <laughs> yeah. And I, I just love the idea of you're in the desert and all of a sudden you hear what sounds like a helicopter buzz overhead. But nope, it's a beetle the size of a Dalmatian. Like I just I feel like that could be a very interesting, you know idea in minecraft they could bury into this bury into the sand they could they could come in all kinds of different colors i mean insects and beetles especially are iridescent and come in all kinds of crazy colors yeah yeah it could be a really fun way to have a fun new passive mob that's unique to minecraft in its scale um and it doesn't have to be called a scarab um and also perhaps if it is a scarab you know has some opportunities for minecraft education archaeology that kind of stuff yeah, definitely. I, I I like the idea, and I think it's it's weird speculating about mobs. Presumably, like the week before, we will get videos introducing the mob vote candidates for for Minecraft Live, because you know it's it's only two weeks away now. Players are going to have to have at least you know a little bit of time to decide for themselves what they want to vote for. And I'm I'm currently watching Twitter like a hawk. Um, not least in case they decide to add hawks, but uh, I think it's it's going to be interesting uh, keeping an eye on on the Minecraft Twitter account this week and, and Minecraft.net and seeing what pops up for the mob vote. But some some pretty solid ideas here, I think. And uh, thank you, thank you once again for the email, Phoenix Phil. For our main discussion this week, uh, because of the advancements kind of popping in for this snapshot, um, I decided maybe we should take a look at what our objectives were for 1.18 because i was talking about 
advancements being the way that players can be led through the game if they don't have a sense of their own objectives. And so I was wondering what we wanted to say about our own objectives, what we're projecting that we'd be uh, interested in doing in Minecraft 1.18. So I surprisingly don't have a lot of big plans. Uh, I think mostly because the Citadel is a long-term world, now over four years old. Uh, so how and what we use the new terrain for is greatly going to be determined by how I can trim the chunk borders and what looks good and how far we have to go to get it. Now, all that said, we already use command blocks to teleport like 10,000 blocks to different build zones to ensure that if you're building in the medieval area, you're not building within eyeshot of a skyscraper, you know, from a modern city. Mm -hmm. uh, it helps keep things thematic. Uh, it helps with the four-year-old server feeling new when you go to a new area and you just know that there is nothing. Like you don't have to worry about anything, you know, that you've built previously underground or above uh, getting in your way. Um, so it's kind of a clean slate in that way. So I don't really think there's going to be a problem. We could honestly just have a teleport, you know, to 10,000 blocks and be just like, it's 118 everywhere. You know, like we don't have to worry about chunk borders at all. Um, so I'm not quite sure how we're going to handle that yet. But when I think about what I want to do, um, I'm actually a little bit tired of the medieval building style because I've been in West Hill for almost a year now, which mm -hmm. is crazy to think about. Uh, and mostly I think it's just a block palette thing. Like I'm done with gray and brown. I would really like to move on from gray and brown. And unfortunately um, for me, I feel like the 118 focus is on the natural landscape. And so to take advantage of that and to really showcase that often like things that come to mind are castles and medieval forts and spires and towers and things like that. So I'm not really sure how I want to work into whatever my next project is into what is essentially more of a natural world. If I wanted to do something more sci-fi, I'm going to be building on what is a very nice looking planet that looks just like mine. Mm -hmm. So it's not going to have a lot of, uh, of imagination to it. I don't think as far as that goes. Um, not that I don't think that the new train is beautiful. It's not a slam on it at all. Um, so yeah, I just, I'm not really sure about that. I I've always wanted to do something like Moria, you know, like in, in Lord of the Rings. And one of the nice things about the new update is that if I can find the right location, I I don't want to dig out a giant hole. The fact that I could find a giant cave that one would save me a lot of digging and two um, would also not be a giant box, you know, like being able to do something like Moria and say, okay, well, I'm inspired by this huge dripstone cave. How can I make this look like dwarves lived in here for a hundred, you know, 200 years, but still not just destroy the cave you know have it look like they lived here and respected the environment in the same way that i'm trying to build with the landscape in west hill rather than flattening out the whole thing and starting from scratch right yeah yeah so that kind of stuff i find really interesting and, and appealing um and given that um my town of west hill can sometimes be a mob farm uh, i'm looking forward to the light changes opening up my building abilities you know darker city streets uh if i do a sci-fi build you know i don't have to or i don't feel necessarily forced into a mushroom island biome right because yeah. i could build in a dark desert and not be completely overrun by mobs as long as i have torches every once in a while you know or light sources every once in a while yeah. so there's things like that that i find appealing in terms of my plans but i haven't really 
pushed forward and like, I don't have some immediate idea. Like I can't wait to start X. Like just, I don't, I think I'm, I'm going to have to walk around and see some stuff. And I think you might be able to speak to this too, because you've spent more time in, in snapshot survival mode than I have. I think that I'm probably going to not know what I'm going to build until I walk into my favorite new valley or, you know, the giant river that I need to put a bridge on or like whatever it is that I see in the landscape is more than likely going to inform what my my mission objectives are going forward. Yeah, I would fully agree with that. I do think the landscape has the potential and it's something that we've been doing in Minecraft for years now is working with the terrain and kind of thinking, oh, this mountain could be kind of cool to build a castle on because it feels like a defensible position or whatever. Or, you know, there's a valley that you want to situate a town on a river, that kind of thing. But um yeah, I do think 1.18 is going to be that multiplied several different ways because there are so many more unique terrain formations now and, you know, more epic mountains to put your town at the base of and then caves that can go into that mountain and turn into, like you said, like a dwarven civilization. Um, I'm wondering, in terms of the sci-fi build, it would not be too difficult to set something like that in a cave as well and just imagine that you're like in a crater in an asteroid or something and that you've mined out an area like that like imagine like for example the time that the millennium falcon flies into the asteroid that turns out to be like the inside of a worm kind of thing Mm -hmm. like you end up with situations like that where you can do um some slightly more out there sci-fi builds and it can be a mining outpost or something inside a dripstone cavern uh, or a deep slate cavern when you've got that amount of space. And I really think the amount of space in 1.18 is going to inform a lot of people's build style for cave bases in particular. Because right now, you can't do a whole lot with cave bases in current Minecraft generation without doing a lot of digging yourself. (laughs) And so, yeah, the fact that these areas have effectively been hollowed out for you already... Like, I think one of my starter bases is going to be in a cave, and then I think a long-term project could be transforming one of those larger caverns into something that feels like, yeah, not not necessarily even a, a Moria-style kind of dwarven base. It could just be a Minecraft-style base in that you put all of your utility stuff in there in one place, and it's underground naturally already, and you have so much space to work on, and then from there you can take the resources that you're grinding up in that area and take those aesthetic builds elsewhere to the surface where you're going to find some more interesting terrain. You start to dig up all of the deep slate from that area just to fill out a little bit more room, and then you can take that onto the surface and build a a gothic castle with it, or something like that. But, you know, this is getting ahead of myself a little bit, because I think in 1.18 and beyond, I'm probably going to pace myself a lot more than I have been lately. I think relaxing and taking Minecraft a little slower is going to be easier for me with the Survival Guide series resetting. Um, But exploration is definitely going to be a key feature, and I think a lot of people will now start to default to whatever their spawn is, they either, like, re-roll the world a few different times so that they can find a a seed that has a more, you know, a, a better spawn to suit their needs or something that inspires them, or the alternative really feels like you can go exploring in that world and look for cool places to build, look for ways to get there, and and what kind of fun you can have along the way. Um, it's something that I, I see a few people doing when they explore snapshots already, is just, let's travel in, you know, whatever direction, just to see what we find. 
and that can mean you know leaving spawn and traveling you know thousands of blocks before you find something that's worthwhile some people don't like doing that for the practical ramifications of if you break your bed and respawn you're now thousands of blocks away from anything you've built but i do think there's uh, there's certainly some pretty fun options there um and personally i imagine myself spending a lot more time in the overworld before ever going to the nether at this point because there's so much more you feel like you can do in the overworld now when it comes to a progression it's not like you know i i need more places to explore therefore i'm going to go to the nether that sort of feels like it doesn't add up as much now and i think if anything you, you're gonna see areas like the nether used a lot more for quick transport than even they have been already if you consider that you can build a nether portal on the surface in the overworld and then just step through the nether very briefly to get up you know hundreds of blocks from your base at bedrock under you know all of the deep slate caverns and everything you can potentially use it for transport in new and interesting ways but i think i will be spending a lot more time in the overworld before i even consider going and finding a nether fortress and doing the the end game progression like i, I feel like the focus has shifted away from that somewhat yeah, I, I was thinking a lot about the the travel aspect of it, thinking that, you know, like if, if the areas where I want to build or I'm inspired to build are few and far between, then using the nether to get around like that is probably something that, that we'll be able to do. I've not gone to the nether in the medieval area at all. We I've not even loaded in the chunks, so I've got no idea what's there. Mm-hmm. Um, so stuff like that could lead to some new new adventures as well. But I like, and I forget about the fact that you can use nether portals to travel so far vertically. Uh, which is really cool. Um, I also already have established on the server that we use command blocks to travel like big distances for the sake of just player convenience. Um, so I don't mind, you know, maybe writing into either the lore or just to be able to get around the server to say like, hey, I built this really cool thing or or another player on the server built this really cool thing. It's way out there, but my gosh, does it look cool on the side of this mountain? And, you know, rather than having to make people travel thousands of blocks even in the nether to get there um i i wouldn't be opposed to you know us taking that step to add in things like command blocks to try and just make it more accessible and and make sure that people on the server can enjoy it you know and go see for themselves and, and stuff like that um something that i've really enjoyed um on the server recently has been like seeing other people's builds in person not just on twitch streams and stuff and um, i'm sure you probably get a lot out of that on empires as well um so i'm curious about like what other people are going to do, whether we're going to have any collaboration opportunities. That's the, I think that's the other thing about the multiplayer aspect of, of a long-term server and a new you know update to Minecraft that's as big as 118 coming is that I really want to try to not just say, I'm going to go do this and then end up with another project that takes me a year. Uh, I really want to try and team up with people and say, okay, let's build this tower. Let's say we've decided on a design, but let's do this together. <laughs> so that it doesn't so that the project can be over faster and I can hang out with a friend online and 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 take advantage of the fact that I'm on a server with at least four or five other active players who I barely talk to outside of discord mm-hmm. like I never see them online and when I'm streaming I'm 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 usually on my own so like I'd like to try and take advantage of the the multiplayer aspect of it yeah and and now your towers can be even taller or they can start higher up and you can still have room to build um 
Turtle Jockey in our live chat says the the problem that they always run into with trying to take the early game slow is needing shulker boxes to move large amounts of blocks around. And I feel like that's another discussion that I want to have at some point, and it may depend on whether the next update is anything to do with the end or not. I feel like it now feels that we only go to the end for Elytra and shulker boxes. And I kind of wonder if it should feel that way because it feels like such a utilitarian way to use that dimension and whether that's something that Mojang could work to change in a future end update because yes I, I agree like it, it the, the the note I had made here was that like the focus feels like it's shifted away from end game progression for me although that's going to change once I want shulker boxes and that's why I'm trying to pace myself a little bit and, and work on something that doesn't involve me traveling thousands of blocks so i would need a lightra for that you know whether i end up you know saddling a horse and getting some chests or taking a train of llamas with me or something i don't want to immediately leap to well i need shulker boxes now because that's the only way to move items there might be other ways that we can explore and you know who knows what could be coming up in future updates i do think it's uh it's a, an option worth considering though is fleshing out the end dimension in a way that means that we're not just going there for the utility of the stuff that is there that we're going there for a sense of of adventure in future i think one one or two last things i'm thinking of in terms of stuff that i have as objectives for 1.18 is just getting used to the new um the new approach to mining i, I think that's going to be so integral to effectively like the minecraft player's skill set for the future is knowing where to get optimal amounts of resources it's it's going to be you know a mineshaft style operation to mine out at y16 because that's reportedly where you get the most iron and see like how productive that is compared to just mining as low as possible in the world to get as many diamonds and redstone ore as possible but then is the occasional amount of iron you get from that enough and can you survive only taking a certain amount of coal with you because you can't find coal that far down. I think that stuff is going to be interesting for the people who are more focused on the grind and on, you know, acquiring resources, developing like a, a certain amount of wealth before they decide what they're going to do with that. Or if that's the role they tend to slip into when they're on multiplayer servers where other people are more focused on on building or redstone. So I think that's going to be a, uh, a fun thing. Uh, the last thing I will say on the subject is that if the Warden does end up in this update, one of my major objectives is to build it a house. <laughs> because I, I just want the Warden to be my neighbour, you know? I want to I take care of him. I feel like he, he needs it. Um, <laughs> in, in, in a kind of my neighbour Totoro sort of way is, is how I'm imagining this. Yeah, despite the fact that he might be able to one-shot you. It might be like the, the testy neighbour. Yeah, I mean, I'll just have to keep the noise down. That's it's really all I need to do, right? Or either either that or the opposite. Like, if the neighbor gets mad at me, I put loud music on, and he gets distracted by trying to turn off my jukebox or whatever. And you know, we'll see uh, we'll see where it goes from there. Skulk sensor dubstep coming to you next week. <laughs> yes, pig step just on the on the on the radio. Uh, of course, we'd be delighted to hear what your objectives are uh, for one point eighteen. If you have any any 
you know visions for what you're planning on doing in this next update or if you're just excited for what's coming up in minecraft live let us know once again spawnchunkmail at gmail.com is the email and we'd love to hear from you uh but that is going to be it for this episode of the spawn chunks you can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com the music for the show was composed by me and the spawn chunks is proud to be a listener supported podcast if you're getting some value out of the show please consider putting some value back in at patreon.com slash the spawn chunks you can join our community there pledging at any level gets you an invite to our patrons only discord chat and gets us closer to our goal of having a monthly minecraft audio hangout where we sit down and chat with everybody about what they've been doing in minecraft that month we're currently at 291 patrons we are down five from last week thanks to the reshuffle that usually happens at the beginning of every month but special thanks still go out to our content engineers hunter 555 jumbo sale and yitz for your support on this episode Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. It's free. Just find us on the Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram and tell friends where they can go to listen to it. It's a a general poke in the arm. It's a friendly way to recommend the show. And you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. Email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. The RSS feed is linked on the spawnchunks.com and the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page. That's where you can listen to the rendered assistance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixorifs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash where my Empire's SMP and Hardcore Survival Guide series are currently ongoing, and you can see me checking out some stuff in the snapshots as well. I also stream three days a week on Twitch, doing behind-the-scenes work for the aforementioned YouTube series, and I'm the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. Aside from that, I'm at Pixorifs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything I'm doing online, including my illustration and design portfolio and links to all of my social media stuff is at joelduggan.com. Uh, you can listen to the Citadel Cafe, my other podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment. This past week, I had Ryan Murphy on the show. We talked about upcoming video games this fall, The Bad Batch on Disney+, and Star Wars Visions on Disney+. You can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media and, of course, Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I've been playing a lot of Satisfactory and building barracks in Minecraft. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, and that's pretty spooky.